Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by Sports Illustrated sports writer Pat Forty, former Oklahoma Sooner Roy Williams, and Frisco Bowl Executive Director Sean Johnson. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest has been covering college sports for over 25 years. He started his career with the Louisville Journal Courier, followed by stints at ESPN, Yahoo Sports, and is now the senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Please welcome to the show, Pat Forty. Pat, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be on with you, Nick. Happy football season to you. Thanks. Thanks. Great time of year. Full season, less than two, two months away as well. So really getting excited. Now, as I mentioned, you've covered college, co- covered college football for a long time. Uh, I know you have a great appreciation for the sport. You and I have known each other from, uh, I don't know, back when Louisville joined the Big East. And what was that now, 26, 2006? I think so. Yeah. Going yeah, back so, a ways. Yeah. So over 15 years. And you were with the Louisville Colonel uh, Journal Courier at that time. Tell me about bowl season. We all love the playoff right? But how many teams can aspire to be in that top four, top 12 every year? Bowl season's been around for a hundred years. They're so meaningful to so many people. How important do you feel they continue to be in the fabric of this great sport? Oh, no doubt about it. Bowls are still super important. Um, you know, I, I think having a postseason goal to aspire to, of being bowl eligible and then being able to, to take that trip uh, and play somebody from another conference, usually another part of the country, to experience all the hospitality and everything that goes along with those bowls. Those are great experiences for the players, you know, and, and the fans too. Uh, there's a lot of fans from, from cold weather locations that love to go to those warm weather spots in the winter. Uh, and then other bowl games in places that aren't traditional warm weather places have done well, uh, whether it's New York or Boston or Boise. Uh, I've covered that bowl game in Boise more than once. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's part of the fabric, part of the tradition. And I think it's just a great way for a lot of schools to, to end their season. You were a competitive swimmer yourself. I think your, your whole family swam, as you said, because they're all uh, out of college. Now all three of your kids were, were college swimmers, knowing the work and dedication that goes into being a student athlete. How does that help you in your coverage of college football and the appreciation you have for these guys? Oh, it definitely helps. And I think it's something that, yeah, with my kids having been college athletes from 2013 through 2022, uh, probably in that time and watching them progress through their college uh, athletic careers and academic careers uh, made me sharpen my appreciation for everything that athletes do, uh, time management, dedication to their sport, uh, willingness to compete, uh, to to just kind of take a, a little bit more challenging road through college than a lot of other students do. I, I, I take my hat off to all of them. Love being around, you know, college athletes forever. But I think now, you know, having seen my kids at that age, and it's all, it just brings it home a little bit more, Nick, of just, oh, gosh, yeah, these are my kids' peers. Look what it's like for them to, you know, to maybe a little more uh, appreciation, respect, and, and empathy for for what college athletes do on a daily basis. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget these are, these are kids. These are somebody's sons and daughters out there doing this thing. Maybe I gotta, maybe I need to think a little bit differently before I uh, boo too loudly. (laughs) Uh, Many don't know. And I didn't know this uh, as long as I've known you uh, Pat, that you played high school football for coach Gary Barnett in Colorado Springs. Uh, What kind of coach was he? Did you follow his career once he moved on to college? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I've remained uh, in good in contact, and very close with uh, with Coach Barnett for forty years since he coached me, and uh, I mean he was he was a brilliant coach uh, and a very influential person in my upbringing. Really, frankly, I mean we you know we it was at Air Academy High School in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We were shockingly much better prepared and had a better scheme than almost everybody we played. Uh, so he was a great coach, great motivator but also somebody that uh, he challenged players, but he would look after you if you needed it. Sometimes that's an arm around the shoulder. Sometimes that was a kick in the rear. I got both. And uh, I, he really, I think, helped me, first of all, be more dedicated to my academics. Uh, Cause I do remember I was, I was not an, I was not a bad student, but I wasn't as serious as my parents maybe thought I was supposed to be. <laughs> and they were actually going to not let me play high school basketball my junior year because they, I wasn't getting a full row. And Gary stepped in and basically said, look, he can come to study hall after school every day in my office. I'll make sure he studies, let him play basketball. So I appreciated that from him. Um, but I had a, a great relationship with him and still do to this day. Now, as I mentioned in the, at the beginning, you worked for Yahoo Sports, ESPN, started the Louisville Courier, Louisville Courier Journal in your career. How did each stop along the way mold you into the journalist you are today? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the working of the newspaper in Louisville was was huge. Uh, first of all, just learning the nuts and bolts of, of covering sports and going and covering high schools and doing, keeping your own stats uh, and keeping track of like 90 schools. And then kind of the more immersive with the single team process of being a beat writer covering the University of Kentucky and then as a columnist kind of covering the region. Uh, all those things were super important. You get to realize how much the local fan base cares about their teams and then you go to a national outlet like ESPN, and then you kind of transition from knowing a lot about a little to knowing a little about a lot, you know, and you have to keep track of the whole country and try to figure out what's happening everywhere and see trends develop and, and, and all those sorts of things. And so that was a whole new experience, but also a great one. And then to see differently, like the, the excitement that you get from some fan bases when ESPN comes to town or when Yahoo Sports does a big piece on your school or same with Sports Illustrated. So uh, it's been interesting and influential. The, the You're probably, I guess, the, the acclaim slash notoriety is magnified, but so are the mistakes. When you screw things up, there's more people paying attention. So you hear from those folks too, but I uh, wouldn't trade. It's been a great, uh, great career. Did you have any particular writers that you admired growing up as a young journalist that that maybe were were mentors to you in some way? Sure, yeah. Um, like I grew up in in Colorado and reading Rick Riley, who was then at the Denver Post and then went to the Los Angeles Times and then Sports Illustrated. I just thought he was stylistically just so fun and and just fantastic uh, writer. And so I tried kind of to emulate him. Um, and then when I got to the Courier Journal, uh, Rick Bozich, columnist there, just really a fair, hardworking columnist who, who taught me a lot about writing columns. Uh, and then, you know, since then, just being able to read some, I guess, of the uh, the great uh, long-form writers, right? Thompson, who I'm, I'm friends with uh, at ESPN, uh, many guys at Sports Illustrated. And then to me, the best columnist in in sports writing right now is my podcast partner, Dan Wetzel, who can do anything. You, you, you send him to any event and he's going to write you a really good column. So, there's been a lot of people and will hopefully continue to be more people I can learn from. Let's take it back a little bit further. Growing up as a young fan, I assume you were a sports fan, like all of us working in sports. 
what teams and players did you kind of, did you root for when you were a kid? And, and since this is called bowl season stories, tell me about the, I don't know, the, the memories in your head, the, the passion that you might've had during the holiday season when bowl games would come on, there were less of them then, but I just yeah. remember before I, well, before I got in this business, but the, when a bowl game came on TV, it kind of had this magical feel to me and my family. Wow. We're watching a bowl game in some strange place. Tell me about those memories. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, I grew up my, I, I was the youngest of three boys and much younger. Like I was the, the bonus baby, so to speak. Uh, my oldest brother went to Notre Dame when I was like six. Uh, and so I was a Notre Dame fan because of that. And so, you know, I remember, I mean, like living and dying with every play of the 1973 Sugar Bowl between undefeated Notre Dame and undefeated Alabama on New Year's Eve, uh, which was played in Tulane Stadium outdoors well before the Superdome was built and just the drama and excitement of that game. And then Notre Dame wins. It looks like they're going to be number one, but you kind of got to watch out for Ohio State, which was playing in the Rose Bowl the next day. And they won big and being very nervous and waiting for that poll to come out to say who was number one. And Notre Dame did end up being number one. But yeah, the bowl games were just, they were fantastic. And, um, you know, there was some, it, yes, it was a more compressed window, usually just between kind of Christmas and New Year's. But uh, just, I remember watching Liberty Bowls, Astro Blue Bonnet Bowls, you know, all the Sun Bowl, all those sorts of things. And then New Year's Day was just such a, a great smorgasbord. Um, you know, the, the another one that stood out very dramatically was the 1979 uh, Cotton Bowl when Notre Dame was behind 34 to 13 to Houston and Joe Montana had the flu or was had hypothermia. They gave him chicken noodle soup, got him ready to go, and he leads a, this miraculous comeback, scored 22 points in the last quarter uh, to win the game 35 to 34 in an ice storm. That was the other thing, too, in the, the old Cotton Bowl. So... Uh, yeah, bowl games, I, I mean, boy, I could go on and on and on all day. The ones I've covered, the ones I've watched just as a fan of the sport, uh, it's a great part of the year for sure. Well, supposedly we, we've evolved over the years, but I don't know. Chicken noodle soup sounds like a, a perfect <laughs> remedy to me. I don't know. It seems like it worked pretty good for Joe that day. It did. <laughs> well, let's talk about this season. We're past the midway point. Uh, tell me, you know, in your view, who has done the best jobs in coaching this season? And then as we track, you know, the second half of the season, what teams are you really kind of keeping your eye on to see where they end up? Yeah. Uh, to the first question, best coaching jobs, I, I'd have to look at Knoxville and Fort Worth, probably Josh Heupel at Tennessee and uh, Sonny Dykes at TCU, two teams that I'm not sure anybody expected to be undefeated at this point, but they both are. And both of them overseeing just tremendous offenses. Uh, Heupel in his second year at Tennessee and with Hendon Hooker, the transfer from Virginia Tech, they're so explosive, you know, so many big plays, really fun to watch. That TCU first season with Sonny Dykes, and he inherited some talent. I think the program had just gotten a little bit stale, needed a bit of a reboot, a little bit of an offensive uh, ignition there, and he's given that to them. Max Duggan, who didn't even start their opening game, but he's been tremendous. Uh, Quentin Johnson, receiver, looks like an NFL talent there. And it's just kind of fun. First of all, fun to see Tennessee back on the national radar. And TCU, which I think at times just kind of gets a little bit undervalued and overshadowed in the state of Texas, but that's been a good program for uh, more than two decades now under three different coaches, Francione and then Gary Patterson and now Sonny Dykes. And, and for them to have their moment right now is really cool. Well, 
Pat, I've taken up enough of your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate uh, your words and, and your conversation today. I appreciate all you do for the game of college football. You, you, uh, I really enjoy reading your stuff. I, I, your 40 yard dash is, is on my schedule of reading uh, every week. I don't miss it. It's uh, it's entertaining. I don't know if it gets old for you to write or not, but it's uh, it's fun for me to read. So I appreciate that. Thank you. We'll keep churning it out. Thanks very much for having me, Nick. Absolutely. Take care. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Stay with us. Vapor Apparel has all your game day essentials. From eco-friendly, lightweight sun protection shirts and hoodies to cozy joggers and Sherpa fleece pullovers, Vapor has the layers you need to get outside and stay out longer. Plus, as Bowl Season's official apparel sponsor, they're creating limited edition shirts for bowl-bound teams made with 100% reprieve fiber from recycled water bottles. Want to celebrate your team's bowl bid with official bowl-bound gear? Get yours and explore more at bowlseason.com. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest was the eighth overall selection in the 2002 NFL Draft by the Dallas Cowboys and played nine seasons in the league with the Cowboys and Bengals. At Oklahoma, he was an All-American, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, and winner of the 2001 Bronco Nagurski Award as the nation's top overall defensive player. He also led the Sooners to an undefeated 2000 season and a BCS National Championship. We now welcome to the show, Roy Williams. Roy, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. Um, I appreciate that intro. It's <laughs> well, all, all true. You were, some, some people, it's, I, I have to really search for things to say in the intro. I, I, I left some things out. But. You did. You did leave some things out, but I'm not going to correct you. This right. is your show. <laughs> we, we'll, uh, we, we could add those in as we go. Well, let's sure. start out. Let's start out talking about, you know, your overall experience at Oklahoma. You know, the playing playing college football <laughs> is a privilege that few people get to have. Uh, you obviously earned that privilege. But tell us about uh, playing football at Oklahoma at that level. And tell us, has your perspective on it and your appreciation of it changed now looking back on it versus when you were going through it um my appreciation will and my loyalties will always be to oklahoma uh for the opportunity they allowed me to um they allot they allotted me so being on the football field and well actually when i got there in, in 98 i redshirted and i'm so thankful for the the insight and knowledge that i got from a an older guy that was on his way out to enter the, the NFL, Ghana Joseph. Um, I actually had two stress fractures in my lower back and he was telling me that, you know, cause I was like, man, I need to get back on the field to try to help. Um, even though we, we didn't have a good season in 98, but he, he pulled me to the side and says, Hey, Roy, I know that you want to try to come back, but I don't know if coach Blake is going to be here. Rest in peace, coach Blake. But I don't know if he's going to be here. So you might as well redshirt and save your years for a new coach, which turned out to be phenomenal advice because that, that uh, winter coach Blake got fired coach incoming coach Bob Stoops. And I got to have all my years with uh, well, three years. I left early, but um, um, I was very appreciative for Ghana pulling me to the side and giving me that advice. And my time in Oklahoma was amazing. Um, a lot of people don't know my mom's originally from Guthrie, Oklahoma, right down the road, just north of um, the university. So um, it wasn't a big culture shock for me. Came around a couple of family reunions when I was in high school. Um, 
So I had family here. So the transition, you know, coming from the inner city of California all the way to, you know, Oklahoma, I mean, there's still some adjustment, but I was so fortunate to be able to come from a high school that had 32 different nationalities in it. So, I mean, I can adjust and maneuver because I did that in middle school, elementary, as well as high school. So Oklahoma was amazing. I loved Oklahoma. Um, they welcomed me in open arms and, uh, and my, my, my time, my time in Oklahoma, hell, I still live in Oklahoma. Um, my time here is, it's been amazing. Um, I don't take it for granted not one bit. And, you know, in the new, um, the new world of NILs and all the stuff that's going on for college players, I think that's awesome for them, but I would never, um, yes, I would love to have got that. Now, I mean, back then, that would have been amazing. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how much money I would have got. But um, I'm happy for them. But the hard work and the um, the time that was put in to perfecting our craft um, without anybody. I mean, outside of people getting Pell Grants, everybody was pretty much making the same thing. You know, so there was no egos. There was no, I make this, I make that. It wasn't none of that. And I, that's why I appreciate college so much because everybody was who wanted to be there that was there was one common goal and try to win a championship. You mentioned Coach, Coach Stoops. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys went out and won the national <clears throat> championship pretty quickly after yeah. you came on board. Uh, yeah. that, that had to be a, just a, a magical year. What was that 2000 season like? And what do you think the key was uh, other than Coach Stoops to – to, to turn that thing around so quick. Uh, <laughs> uh, coach Jerry Smith, the strength conditioning coach. <laughs> that was, that always was, always uh, the guy behind it all. It's the strength <laughs> coach, right? Oh my gosh. He spends he, more time with you guys than the head coach does. Most definitely. Um, coach Schmidt really had us right. And honestly, after there were so many games in 99 that we could have won, but we just didn't know how to win. And we didn't really fully trust the coaches um, because again, they came in, replaced some coaches that brought us in. So, I mean, there was a little disconnect and then you understand we have some coaches that are in their, uh, late, late twenties. So they're fiery, you know, and you know, they're, <laughs> they didn't hold back. They didn't mince any of their words. Let's just say that. So they really let us know how they felt about us. So, I mean, you know, some buttons of the head, but <clears throat> I feel that probably towards the middle to, uh, middle of the season, we started buying in and we started to see what they were saying was actually really working and trying to help us. And we went on to the, I think that year we went seven to five, so we went to the Independence Bowl. And then after that season, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us guys got together and were like, you know what, let's just buy in, do everything right, do everything that they're saying. Because if we do everything that they're saying, you know, we can throw it back in their face and say, we did everything that you wanted us to do. And what was the end result? Well, actually, kind of that, I mean, it worked out because we did everything that they said and we got a national championship. So um, it worked. I mean, so um, it, I, I just, I'm forever indebted to the University of Oklahoma, for sure. Well, that championship game in the Orange Bowl, uh, a 13-2 to victory over Florida State. Defense yeah. was obviously pretty solid that day. 
Yeah. Uh, but yet you, you, you have a quarterback who's doing a pretty good, good job uh, coaching at Tennessee right now. Josh Heupel. Do you, yes, do you follow is. him as a, as a former teammate? And, and in general, you get a chance to talk to any of your old teammates and reminisce uh, about the old days, any reunions? Oh yeah. We had our, um, I want to say our 20th. We couldn't do, we, we actually had to do it the following year because of COVID. Um, so we had um, a reunion year last year. Um, which I got to see a lot of guys. And yes, I follow Coach uh, Hype and everything that he's doing. And I actually got to see him last year when I went to Coach Bob Stoops' um, Hall of F- college, fo- college Hall of Fame induction in Vegas. So I got to see him there, talk to him, just wished him well. And um, <clears throat> and I actually I did a podcast um, probably like a month or two ago, and I said, hey, watch out. Tennessee's going to be right. And I mean, they're, they're holding true. And I'm so excited for, um, for Josh and how the ball club is playing. You know, that was a huge win against Bama was two weeks ago. So um, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm gonna always be um, my boy's keeper, regardless, wherever school they're at. You're my, I mean, we, we went through this stuff together. You know, we, we seen the lowest of lows, the highest of the highs and, you know, there's something about completing a Schmitty workout with your teammates and the accomplishment of completing that workout, the coming together as a as a unit, you get so much tighter. And being able to line up next to a lot of those guys, a lot of guys that are on doing amazing things in their lives. But we talk, we're talking about Hypo. I mean, I got to see Hype's progression as far as playing. He played hurt. You know, in the championship game, I mean, nobody knows that he had a messed up elbow and a hand. Um, and he still, you know, he still did a good job. And um, now he has, uh, I want to say it's Hooker. Is that his last name? The quarterback for Tennessee. He has him playing very well right now. And I'm really excited about Tennessee and where they, what they can do. There's nothing like that, that bond of a teammate. I, you know, working in sports as long as I have, I have, I have people that ask me, well, who do you root for? And of course, you know, you're going to say Oklahoma, but I, I, you know, I often say, well, I root for the teams that my friends coach and work at, you know, you, you, you tend to root for your friends more than teams as, as you get older and you know, people in this profession, do you, do you feel that? that, that oh, same th- thing? A thousand percent. I, I mean, I, Seth Luttrell played fullback for us at OU. He's a coach at North Texas. Jero Jackson's um, a coach at a, a smaller division in, in Texas. There's a lot of guys that are coaching that um, I'm, yes, I'm rooting for. Like those are, those are my guys. I, I've i even had, uh, I've even had schools I really didn't care for very much. And I have a friend go work there. I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm gonna have to root for them now. You yeah. Know, at least until he leaves. Well, uh, I want to ask you about the bowl game the following year. National championship is obviously special. Most guys don't get to play in a, in a national uh-huh. championship game every year, but the, the bowl experience for a lot of guys is the last college football game. Well, the last football game period, a lot of them play. You know, you were fortunate to go on the NFL. 2001, you beat Arkansas 10 to 3 in the Cotton Bowl. Obviously, another <laughs> great defensive effort. Five points in two, two big bowl games. You were named the defensive MVP. So think think back to that. Your last college football game, last yeah. game period for your a lot of teammates, and and you're in some unique location having some fun in the days leading up to the game. How how, how important are those memories to you? Um, those honestly, those are the memories I cherish most about 
going to bowl games and um, and that whole experience because um, I want to say it was uh, Scottish Rite Hospital in Dallas where we um, got to go to the hospital and, and see the kids. And um, that's what I cherish most. Like, I, I still do. I mean, I always tell um, the PR folks at OU, like, hey, when you guys go to do a hospital visit, please let me know. I want to go, you know, um, because they are they're struggling at best, you know, and the joy I'm, I'm a joy seeker. You know, so if I'm able to go to a hospital, hand out some footballs, whatever, and see those kids' faces, smile, those smiles on the kids' faces, it lights me up. It puts a fire inside me. So um, that's one thing that I would remember about the Cotton Bowl was going to the Scottish Rite Hotel, hotel the hospital, and spending that time with the kids um, because it's a team event and everybody's getting in on the joy and fun to be able to put football aside and put somebody else first. And that um, um, Cotton Bowl did a, a real good job um, for that. And that's what I hold dear more in my heart is being able to the charitable aspect of it, of giving back and giving your time. Um, and I, I would say, <clears throat> and this is no disrespect to the Cotton Bowl or not Cotton Bowl, but the um, Orange Bowl or Independence Bowl. But I mean, I've got to play. I got to play in Texas, and they. I mean, everything's bigger in Texas, and they do it right. And the Cotton Bowl, they they did it right. I mean, I would if I was a player, I would want to go to the Cotton Bowl for the for the gifts that they give. Like they gave better gifts than the national championship game. I'll just say that. Um, so Cotton Bowl is where it's at. I mean, it may not be a a bowl, you know, playing for the you know football college uh, playoff, but I would I would choose the Cotton Bowl over a lot of bowls because they do everything first class. They are they are certainly known for their hospitality, Roy. That's for sure. Well, last question for you. I, I one of the one of the many things I love about college football is the history and the tradition. Mm-hmm. And there there are some iconic plays that we've all seen hundreds of times over the years that'll live on forever. <clears throat> you had one of those in the Red River shootout. <laughs> and for for some of the younger listeners here, uh, Texas quarterback Chris Sims was was backed up to his old own goal line. He took the snap. Roy, you timed it perfectly. Jumped over the line of scrimmage, jarred the ball loose. What turned out to be a safety. I think there's a mural of that play on the, on the, we talk about strength coaches on the weight room wall at Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken, tell us about that play. It does a day go by that someone doesn't ask you about it. I, I've actually seen that photo more than I've seen baby pictures of myself. I'll say that. <laughs> that's, that's a fact. Um, <clears throat> no people. I didn't know the magnitude of that play. Um, when I made that play uh, until like, after the play was made and years later, um, actually, whoever, whoever snapped that photo, I mean, they really need to give me some freaking um, residual checks from that because I, I made that photographer a buttload of money because that photo is used so much. And I don't even own the rights to that photo, you know? Um, so whoever the photographer was, I take that picture. I would love to get the original copy one and two, you might want to start swinging a little money my way because that picture is everywhere. Um, if only there but, were NIL deals back then, Roy. Man, I'm trying to tell you. So 
the the play was actually set up because we we faked a field goal and did like a pooch punt. So the center snaps the ball to the holder and the holder flips it over to the kicker and the kicker kicks it as a punt. And Nathan Vasher is the one that caught the ball on the two yard line and set that play up. And um, actually my uh, Mike Stoops, our defensive coordinator, he told me not to jump on that play. Thank goodness I didn't listen because <laughs> that play would have never happened. Um, but I knew um, I was going to be one-on-one with their running back. Their running back, his name was Brett Robin. He was probably five, five, six, five, seven. I knew he wasn't going to try to hit me high. I knew he was going to try to cut me. He cut me earlier um, in the game. Um, and then Chris Sims ran for like 11, 12 yards. Um, Demner got a first down on the third and long. Um, but so I knew what was going to happen. See Chris check out to the other Roy Williams, which I get mistaken for him all the time. Um, and so he's looking at uh, the other Roy, giving him a hand signal as a hot route. I knew it was coming out quick. So I knew the fastest way I was going to get to Chris was leave my feet. And so I go up, mistimed a little bit back up. And then I was like, I'm going to go for it. Two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to make this play. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this play or I'm not going to make the play and coach is going to bury me underneath the stadium because he told me not to leave my feet. So I leave my feet, make the play, ball flutters into my buddy Teddy Lehman's hands. He walks into the end zone. We score. Right after that play, I am beelining to kickoff because now we're on kickoff. I'm trying to – I avoided my coach, Mike Stoops. And then – we uh, go on kickoff. Um, the first play on that next drive, Chris Sam is trying to um, throw the ball in the hot to their Roy Williams. I intercept the ball, and I'm like, crap. I have to go to the sideline now. Who's awaiting me? Coach Mike Stoops. So if you ever watch the YouTube version after that play and I get the interception, you'll see me and Mike Stoops puts his arms around my neck. And – He's he's <laughs> he was like, I told you not to effing jump. Right. And then he's shaking my my neck and then he just pushes me off. He's like, good play, go. Get away from me, you know. So um there's a lot of there's a lot of backstory to that play <clears throat> and why I made it so um iconic and epic. But yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to make that play and Texas fans, players. You fans, the play, our players, they have to see that play every year we play Texas because that play um, was that that big in that moment. So, so, so basically, you made a little risk assessment in your head in in in, in two seconds. Do I risk pissing the coach off or making one of the most iconic plays in football history? I, I think you made the right decision. I think I did, but I never knew to the magnitude that it was going to be. So, but I am very fortunate that I, I made that play and it, it worked out because I, I don't know where I would be right now if I if it didn't work out. I, I think you'd have been just fine either way, Roy. I really do. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Roy, I, I've taken enough of your time. Really, really appreciate talking to you. Uh, thanks so much. Good luck to good luck to you uh, with, with everything you're doing. And uh, hope we hope we get a chance to talk again soon. All right. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. The forecast for this tax season 
It's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Welcome back to the show. Our final guest is brought to you by Tappet. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. We now welcome to the show the executive director of the Frisco Bowl, Sean Johnson. Sean, thanks for joining us. Nick, happy to be here. Now, let's talk about the last couple of years. In 2021, you hosted two bowl games due to COVID, the Frisco Bowl and the Frisco Football Classic to replace a game in another city that couldn't host the game. That was a little bit planned. You might have had an entire month for that one. But last year, the NCAA approved an extra bowl game in order to accommodate all 83 bowl-eligible teams. There was one too many. Uh, otherwise, one, one bowl-eligible team would not have been selected for a bowl game. Uh, you guys had a couple of weeks to turn that one around. Uh, you took on the challenge, uh, created a bowl game in three weeks with the Frisco Football Classic. Tell us about that experience and what it was like. Well, I guess the first word comes to mind is definitely crazy. Um, it was one of those things where I still remember where I was when I learned about it. I was talking in my car, getting ready to head home about nine o'clock at night. Went over me from ESPN events, called me, and I'm telling them how great shape we're in. We got a lot of stuff going on. We're in the best shape we've ever been in to host our game. And he says, well, be careful what you ask for. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, you think, what, what do you think you could put together if we brought another game your way? And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, we might need another bowl game. I'm like, okay, I think I know what you're asking. I go, what do you need me to look at doing? And he just said, here, what, what, you, what can you do to line up a bowl event week for a couple of new teams coming in? Like started to call around and call our partners, call our hotels, started to lay out some plans and got back to them on Wednesday. And I said, yeah, I think we can do it. You know, we've got everything ready. Uh, our whole crew here at FC Dallas and Toyota Stadium is ready to roll. We can make it happen if it needs to happen. He's like, well, the NCAA's, you know, oversight committee is reviewing it right now and we'll let you know in a couple of days. So that was on like December 1st. And uh, I think that Friday afternoon, it was approved Thursday. I still didn't know if we were going to be the only one considered or what was happening there. But Friday afternoon, they called back and said, we're not announcing this game yet, but it's coming your way. And so at that time, it was like whatever hands we had, all hands on deck. Um, we needed everybody we could. Fortunately for us, um, we have some great talent here at FC Dallas that helped us pull all this together. Um, great partners with the city of Dallas or, or city of Frisco, uh, you know, Dallas area people were helping us out. I mean, we, we need a lot of people to make that thing work because we have a pretty small staff, uh, but we pulled it together. It was all about what do we need to do to help make these guys have a good time when they're here. So we had everything set for the first game, but it's really that second game, which is the problem child, because you have to, everything you do for one game, you got to do for the other. So and, that's and then the games goal. themselves where there was, they were both played within 48 hours. Is that right? Oh yeah. We were, we were done 48 hours top to bottom. It was, that was probably not the worst time. The best time was right after the first game was over. It's like, all right, I can take a break. But then I was like, no, wait, I got to get everything ready for the video board and the PA script. And now we got four teams in town right now that we got to take care of. And, and even though when you put all your plans together, it doesn't always work out the way you hope. I mean, I, 
I thought I had a seamless transition with my two hotels because we never had a team stay longer than they're supposed to. And what happens last year, both of my first teams in town decide they want to stay an extra night. So my entire hotel plan was shot, you know, up in one quick moment. Then we're trying to find hotels for Miami, Ohio, and UNT at the same time as trying to, you know, manage everything else that's going on. And, and just having four teams come into town, easily the biggest lesson learned was anybody who makes a bowl game wants the full experience. And while, and while I say we fell short of that last year, it was mainly a timing thing because the TV window ESPN had for that second game was, you know, 36 hours after our first game. So we kind of had to make that roll in. And that was probably the biggest hit to me was just when I asked, when's that second game going to be? Because I didn't know if it was two days later, a week later or what. And just both teams wanted to be here in town early, you know, for the second game. And it was just trying to manage the expectations a little bit on the front end. But, you know, if you're going to send them a bowl bound t-shirt, you know, we got to make sure the bowl, the bowl happens, right? For sure. For sure. <laughs> Can't have one without the other. Exactly. Well, Sean, you do a great job in giving young aspiring business uh, sports business professionals an opportunity to work for your bowl. They're talented, but some are learning on the fly. They're young. Tell us about your philosophy and what it's like to make a bowl game happen with roughly 20 interns and relying on students to, to really do a lot of work. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I kind of came up, you know, through that guidance coming through UNM. I went there for my master's degree and I just, I had a buddy of me reach out to say, Hey, we're looking for some good people to help us in athletics. You want to come down and volunteer? And I'm like, sure. I don't have anything going on except for school right now. Let's make that happen. Before you knew it, we were working 80 hours a week and going crazy. And that's, that's just what happens. And you're, while it wasn't necessarily an internship, I kind of structured some internships and some graduate student opportunities uh, for our for students at that time because we had a good sports administration program there. And we have the same thing here in the Texas area. Lots of sports management programs at many of the schools, not only here in Dallas, but up into Oklahoma, down into you know, Southern Texas, we had, well, we had students, you know, from as far away as Ohio University that came out and were part of our intern program last year. And uh, it, it's really fulfilling, I think. Our, and our game, I tell them every year, our game doesn't happen if they're not here. Because I need those 20 to 25 extra bodies to take care of everything we've got going on. And especially last year with two games, you know, we had, you know, students split up going to different hotels, four different hotels you know, with four different events going on at the same time. And it just, when you get to game day, I need everybody because I got people out in the tailgate lot, people manning fan fest, pregame party, up in the suites, down on the field. You just, you need bodies. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned in my career is just get as much help as you can and, you know, figure out a way to make them work. And what we try and do is give them a group to work with so that they have other people they can lean on if you got to make a decision. Because there's times, even though I'm a text or a phone call away, they might not be able to reach me. And they just need to make, I tell them, just sometimes you got to make a decision. Think about what you're doing, figure out, you know, with your other people you're with, what's the best thing to do. And I'm not going to fault you for that. But no matter what happens, you're doing what you think's right. At the end of the day, hey, these, these kids know what they're doing. 
They're very smart. They know sports already because a lot of them have already done some things and they're very reliable. Some of the some of the best employees I've had in my life have been some of the student volunteers, interns that we've had during Bowl Week. So we put a lot of trust in and they pay it back tenfold. I've had that same experience, Sean, with a lot of uh, young aspiring professionals. It's it's great to help them out and then to see what they go on to do later on. It's uh, it's it's fun for me, as I know it is for you. For those uh, that don't know, Frisco is a northern suburb of Dallas, one of the fastest growing areas of the country. Great place to live and work. What advantage does your area have in supporting your bowl game? I think the biggest thing that we've found is in Frisco, it's all about public-private partnerships. So when they created the bowl game, they moved it here from Miami Beach, called Miami Beach Bowl. Um, and the Hunt family, who owns Kansas City Chiefs, you know, wanted a bowl game here in their stadium. Their dad was a was like at the first Cotton Bowl game ever in 1936, and he wanted a bowl game here at his stadium, and they want to honor him, honor his memory by making that happen. And by working with ESPN, they were able to make that happen. The city of Frisco comes in and helps out, and they help to redo a big part of the stadium. Uh, the year, kind of why we had our first game. And we opened up the National Soccer Hall of Fame right at the end of our stadium. Part of that was two brand new locker rooms that could house 100 players. So that was a big deal for us to kind of take our game to another level. Uh, and it was easy to get down onto the field at that point in time. And it's just the city working together with the family and with the ESPN to make everything kind of a seamless transition when you're putting on this event. And, and to your point, so many great companies are moving here. This town is booming. Uh, we've got, I mean, college football, you know, royalty and some sponsors that are around here. Um, but then we we have the Dallas Cowboys right down the road, their new star entertainment district. We go down there and hold a couple of events at their complex each year. Our teams typically get to practice there every year at the Cowboys practice field, have a couple of VIP events and, you know, the fans can come in there. Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are out there right by one of our hotels doing their holiday routine every night. So it's a pretty vibrant place. And we, we get a lot of people coming in uh, that just want to have a good time when they're here in Frisco. And it, it, it's just a, a good place to go. Last question, Sean. Uh, you mentioned the Dallas Cowboys. You worked there, you worked for Host Communications, IMG College, University of New Mexico, all before running this bowl game. Uh, how have those experiences helped you in your current job and, and what are some of the, and who are some of the mentors you've had over the years? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it certainly goes back to going to basketball games at the pit in Albuquerque. I grew up going to those games and that's what made me fall in love with sports. And that's what ended up directing me into going to sports administration and wanting to be in sports and tying business and sports together. Um, so early on, certainly Mike Alden, who ended up being a great AD over at Missouri uh, in the SEC, took, took them into the SEC. He was he was a guy who originally hired me, uh, and he was just so organized and made you cross all your T's and dot all your I's. And when you did that, it just taught me to be very organized in our in everything we were doing and have a game plan, have a game schedule. And I've stuck with a lot of those things we built out. At, Albuquerque 30 years ago, still use them today when we run our game here. Um, Doug Immels uh, was one of our marketing guys. He was on NACMA board for many, many years. So I've learned a ton from him in the sponsorship realm and 
putting on events as well. Uh, when I moved over to host, that was an events company. So I got to see, you know, what it was like to put participatory, hoop it up, air it out, all these different sports. I got to see them put those on across the country. Um, and, you know, there were some great people working there. But one of the key ones, I'd say Kelly Carney over at Conference USA. You know, she's a counterpart of mine, but we worked together on Big 12 stuff back in the day on the basketball championships and football championships, the Texas OU game. So big events. And when you're there and you put together everything that goes around it, that's what makes it easy for me to run a bowl game. Um, and the Cowboys sponsorship wise, you know, Greg McElroy, senior, uh, Michael Alford, who's now the AD out of Florida State. Uh, those guys were great leaders. They, they made you make sure you had everything tied up and ready to roll and made sure you were ready before you got in, into the stadium on game day. Um, trying to think of who else I had, you know, Cotton, I remember when I was at uh, working at host and ISP sports, we always had teams playing in the cotton bowl and every one of those schools would always tell me what a great job the cotton bowl did. So I've always looked at Rick Baker and Michael Conradi in their group. And I've, I've tried to look at what they've done and that's really helped me out. And certainly the ESPN folks, you know, Clint and Kristen, that whole crew out in Charlotte, I mean, they put on 17 bowl games every year. It's crazy. So they're able to give you some good guidance in what you need to do. So lots of help looking at other events. Uh, it makes the job fun and it keeps you rolling. Lots of great names there, Sean. I know most of those people you named and I, I, I can second the, second the notion uh, on all of them. Well, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, really appreciate you joining us. Bowl season's around the corner. It's the most wonderful time of year. Uh, good luck uh, to you and your game this year, Sean. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for everything you're doing for the Bulls. And uh, this is just one more little thing that I'm uh, happy to help out. And, you know, looking forward to, uh, I think we're 50 days away from bowl game day. So we're, we're right there. For sure. Th th thanks again, Sean. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at bowl season. Thanks for listening.